All right, welcome to this episode of Robotech Fan. I'm your host, Doug Bendo, and today we have another exciting episode of Robotech Fan. So today what we're going to be looking at here is we're... We're going to be looking at, you know, essentially Robotech. That's what we're going to be doing. Um, and, I, and I think I did want to do more of a Robotech-esque episode than a fandom episode. I mean, hence, you know, there is Robotech fan in fandom, you know, and, and, or at least in Robotech fandom, that is. Uh, but no, I, I'd like to sit up here and talk about some Robotech today, okay? So, you know, we're going to have some fun with this. Uh, this is going to be a pre-recorded episode, of course. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, though. I mean, like, I've done plenty of them. God only knows. Uh, and I'm thinking, actually, this Friday... <coughs> yeah. This Friday, I'm going to, um... Actually, uh... Do a Robotech Live episode. You know? And, um... There's already been some, you know... Uh, chatter among peoples... Uh, when it comes to this, so, you know, this, this should be pretty, uh, interesting to see how this actually works out. I don't know who's gonna show up, or if anyone's gonna actually show, uh, because I am gonna sit up here and do it on a Friday night. You know, I am gonna do that. Uh, I'm probably, I'm thinking doing it around about, uh, shall we say, 11 o'clock-ish or so? 11 o'clock-ish? Yeah, something like that. Um, so, I'm probably gonna do the episode, it will be around like 10, 30, 11, and you guys can, you know, just stay tuned for that. So it, it just really depends on how my afternoon goes. But I'm I'm really psyched. I'm really wanting to do it. I'm really hoping that I'll get some of the Robotech, you know, VR in before we do the first live episode. Uh, because that is something that I really am looking towards uh, as well from the standpoint of, um, you know, the Robotech fan podcast and telling my experience on that. So, yeah. I, like I said, I think that this should really be something that uh, should be interesting, to say the least. So, what are we going to talk about today? Well, what, I, what I've decided I want to talk about today is, you know, basically the idea of Robotech in the sense of the Army of the Southern Cross. You know, um, it's been a long time. Since, you know, we've talked about the Southern Cross, I mean, a good long time. And, you know, the Southern Cross series has never, ever gotten the love, you know. And I don't think I'm the only person who believes this, but it's never gotten the love among the fandom that it deserves. Um, part of it comes down to just how Robotech works and how the armies of the Southern Cross were basically the, the fall before humanity. You know, like, they take that rap. And, you know, you could <clears throat> technically blame it on the armies of the Southern Cross if you wanted to. But as far as the Invid invasion goes, nothing was going to stop that. I mean, like, that's just, it's a reality. Like, when you, when you think about Robotech, here's what you got to realize, okay? The Robotech Masters came on their last leg. They came in their last hour of their last moment. I mean, like, literally, it was like that for the Robotech Masters. They literally came to Earth riding on fumes. They didn't want to engage in a full-scale conflict. You know, they just didn't want to. And, and I mean, like, that is shown in Robotech. Like, in the first episode of, uh, you know, the Master Saga, they're just trying to test the Micronians to see what they're made of. You know, that's exactly what they're trying to do. You know, and they, in, in that episode, they talk about, like, listen... 
you know, um, we have these artificial protoculture, you know, generators that are consuming more protoculture than, you know, the artificial protoculture that they're generating. You know, I mean, like, it, it had come to that, you know, and to a degree, I think when you look at the second Robotech War, I think that you have to be fair about exactly how it all goes down. Um, the fact that, like, literally, you're seeing the collapse of a Robotech empire, you're seeing its last breath, you know, making it to the planet Earth, and I mean, like, literally, it is the last breath. The Robotech Masters are not what, what they once were, you know. And this is not one of those scenarios where the Robotech Masters are basically, you know, going to be able to fight their way out of some situation where they're facing off against some, you know, barbarians with sticks and stones. I mean, they are going up against the Earth's finest, which is the armies of the Southern Cross, you know. And you want to keep in mind that the armies of the Southern Cross at the time had a lot of experience, you know, even though the armies of the Southern Cross that you see in, I want to say about the, shall we say, 2030s, um, if we want to give it that timeline, just for the sake of this conversation, the armies of the Southern Cross that you see in, in the 2030s um, are basically, you know, the armies of the Southern Cross that, for all practical purposes, is the the finished model. It's it's the the polished model. You know, it's not the one that you've seen Robotech Untold Story with different provinces and stuff like that. Like the Earth hadn't recovered, and that was pretty obvious to see. The Earth hadn't recovered from the Zentrani apocalypse, um, or you know, the Zentrani Holocaust as it was called. Uh but humanity had recovered. You know, and, and that was one of the big things that you you see effectively, uh, from the start, actually, of, I would say, the past couple episodes before, you know, um, Dana's story in Robotech, leading into, of course, you know, it itself. And, and what I mean by that is, you do see, like, for example, where, um, Lynn, Kyle, and Min May, I believe they go to, I forget what city it is. I'd have to sit up here and watch it. But anyways, um, Monument City, I think is, uh, mentioned on the news or they went to Monument City. Okay. So Monument City is actually mentioned in the Matt Cross saga, you know, um, it is mentioned. And I believe that's where Min, Lynn, Min May and Lynn Kyle had their last moment. I could have swore it was, I could be wrong about that though. I could be wrong about that. Um, they didn't have their, they may not have had their last official moment there. Like, like I said, I'd have to actually go back and watch the ending of the Macross saga because there are a lot of, shall we call them Easter eggs, you know, because that's like the cool thing now on YouTube to call stuff Easter eggs when, you know, it's like a prelude to something. Um, but anyways, there's a lot of, um, you know, foreshadowing that will take effect in, you know, the, the final days of the Macross saga. And they do mention, you know, like Monument City, for example, they do basically set up the three-mound concept between, like, the SDF-2, the SDF-1, and Chiron's Battle Fortress. You know, uh, they, they do a lot of things in the final moments of the Macross Saga that do actually lead into the Southern Cross Saga. And it's one of the real interesting things about how Robotech is done. 
you know, um, because you really don't look at, um, Robotech in the sense of the Master Saga as being one of the finer moments of it. You know, it's kind of like when you switch gears, uh, what happens is you go from this love story to a war story, you know, and, and that's literally what the Master Saga is. It is a war story through and through. It is not a love story. It is not what the Macross Saga was. You know, the Macross Saga was a story that basically had love in the driver's seat in, in the background or in the back seat, I guess you could say. It had, you know, this interstellar galactic conflict that for some reason behooved everybody. And it wasn't until like the very end where people kind of got their, you know, their shit together and said, oh, wait a minute here. We're on the brink of annihilation. We can't just be having love romances here. We're all going to die. You know, I mean, like it, it took a while for them to get there. You know, like if you sit up here and actually think about the, um, the, uh, Macross saga, you know, that they're, oh man, dude, like if you look at Rick Hunter, it's like, dude, are you kidding me? You're stuck in the vacuum of space in a transformable robot, you know, in the belly of a, of a battle fortress that somehow transforms itself. And you're worried about whether you're going to have a girlfriend or not. Like what is wrong with you? You know, your girlfriend's not going to amount to much if she's dead, you know, but this is how it works in the first, you know, Robotech war. Like that is the mentality. The, I'd say the only people who had a mature mentality in the first Robotech war realistically were Admiral Global. I mean, he did, um, although he didn't make a lot of mistakes. Um, but then again, he is human. Uh, you had Roy Foker, you know. Roy Foker definitely had a mature mentality. And, you know, I'd say Claudia did. You know, Claudia did, uh, definitely. Um, but the rest of them, you kind of wonder about in terms of the human characters. You know, now Ben Dixon just didn't make it long enough. You know, he just didn't, he didn't make it long enough. You know, he, he had that steak, man, and left it on the counter and, and he should have known that was going to be a bad omen. You know, and, and the story took him down. <laughs> in a brutal fashion, like, no, he's not coming back, trust me, all right, the SDF-1's, you know, omnidirectional barrier is going to implode, and he's going with it, just to show how deadly this thing is, you know, so he was the benchmark for the omnidirectional barrier, which I'm quite sure he wasn't planning to be that, but, like, when you do look at the, the Macross saga, there is a lot of just romance in it, you know, it's, it's romancing the stone, if you will, in the sense that, Everybody needs to have some type of love affair. They, they have to have that um, in order to function. And I, I'm not saying every character does. Okay, clearly Admiral Global, for whatever reason, didn't care. He was just like, nah, not, not, not even interested. You know, I don't care how good I look um, for my age. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, we'll do this beauty pageant. But beyond that, I don't even want to talk about women, you know. And, um, <clears throat> you know, you had Roy Foker, but Roy Foker, you know, was more or less, he already had his thing. You know, he had that brown sugar Claudia. That's what he had. He wouldn't, he wasn't trying to mess around with anything else at that point, you know, no matter how good it looked. He's just like, oh, it looks good, but I'm going home to Claudia. I'm going home to Claudia, you know, but everybody else, it seemed like they were hurting and they were hurting bad. I mean, like, you look at Kim, uh, Sammy, and Vanessa, you look at them, and it's like, wow, 
yep, they're so hard up, they're hitting on some, you know, Zentrani reconnaissance soldiers. You know, like, that's that's how bad it is for them, you know. And, uh, you know, the, Lisa Hayes, there's just no, there's no hope for that one. I mean, that just, that really just was probably the most backwards character in terms of love that you could get. Like, a lot of people sit up here and talk about Lin-Min May. And, I mean, I would say Lin-Min May definitely had issues. I mean, the fact that she was going to date her cousin, um, who I honestly don't know how people just didn't think that was kind of weird in and of itself. But, um, you know, and, and this is provided it wasn't an adopted cousin. I mean, like, clearly... If you look at um, Robotech, all right, and if you look at J Jason, for example, Jason seems normal. He's just a normal kid, you know, um, and I'd say a normal Caucasian-looking kid, you know, he's just a normal-looking Caucasian kid, you know, um, you know, Aunt Lisa and um, and uh, her husband, uh, you know, they they just may have been some crazy white folks wanting to live an Asian lifestyle, for all I know. And Lynn Kyle literally could have been, like, just some adopted kid somewhere that they had, you know, like, that that was to f fulfill their Asian quest. I mean, like, I don't know. Um, but it was kind of odd, you know, it, it was. But, like, no one ever questioned it in Robotech. Even though Masek threw it out there, no one questioned it. You know, no, nobody did, you know. And, it, and to tell you the truth, it's like, if I had to think of it, the only thing I find more awkward than that, that I can think of in a major sci-fi series is obviously uh, Star Wars. You know, when, when like, Leia makes out with Luke in front of Han Solo, and then what happens is, next movie, it's like, ha, the Force got you. That's your sister, dude. Ha, 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 Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that, that's a pretty odd moment of the Matt Cross saga. You know, so, I mean, I guess, if anything, you you really got to think hard on, on how Robotech works. Now it could be that Jason was the adopted one. There's always a possibility of that too. And I mean, like the, the thing about it is, is that you've got to remember that everyone's coming out of the, the global civil war. Okay. So obviously you have, um, geographical migrations that take place and stuff like that. Um, clearly, uh, you know, the population of, um, black people had dropped, uh, cause you only find Claudia and maybe like three other people in the first Robotech war. Um, you know, and, and as far as other ethnicities go, um, I, I don't really know how, how will they, they, they fare. You know, I, I don't, um, I know that there were, a there's been a lot of, you know, push to say that Lin Min May was Asian when in reality, when you look at Robotech, it doesn't really, no, no, I'm sorry, no, it, it doesn't work that way. It, it, Lin-Min may, may have some type of Asian heritage or she may have some Asian adopted parents or whatever the case might be. Um, but again, I, I think that that comes down to how the story actually unravels from that standpoint. Like for example, these people are going to Macross Island. Why? We'll just look at the world for what it is. You had a devastated economy. You had war all over the place. About the first place that literally does get its, you know, shit in order is literally Matt Cross Island. You know, so 
if I were thinking about it and it just happened to be in the Pacific, you know, I might throw up a, you know, Chinese restaurant or uh, something as well if I had to make a living, you know. Um, imports are, are very inexpensive. Uh, you're also looking at the fact that what's going to be the closest thing, you know, <laughs> to Macross Island. It's definitely not going to be some McDonald's, I can tell you that. Um, so you're not going to be having, you know, people with, uh, you know, massive um, farms where they can herd, uh, you know, cattle and what have you not from coast to coast to Macross Island. It just doesn't work like that. You know, and, and Macross Island had to import a lot of what it had. I mean, that was pretty obvious just how Robotech worked with the Battle Fortress. I mean, you know, the SDF-1 was like how big? And still they had to get, like, in terms of supplies, they did have to resupply themselves. The ship itself, from a human standard, could not work indefinitely. You know, it couldn't. And that's after pulling materials right off the island itself before, you know, they got to Mars Base Sarah. So I, I think that, like, when you talk about Robotech, you know, and especially when you talk about, like, the first Robotech War, there is a lot of drama that goes on from a personal, you know, uh, story perspective. And most of it deals around love. Now, like I said, there are some awkward moments you could totally look at, you know, and one of the biggest awkward moments would obviously be Lynn Kyle and, um, you know, uh, Lynn Min May, you know, but also, again, you don't know necessarily the relationship of the characters where you are talking about a global civil war. You're talking about a military, like world militaries, in fact, that had been so decimated that at that point they had to get women recruits to basically run everything from an operational and control perspective with only having a few, you know, a few men on top. I mean, like if, if you really think about the global civil war, it was a devastating thing. It totally reset the thinking of humanity and how things worked. Now this doesn't mean that incest, for example, is a congratulated thing. I mean, I'm not going that far, okay? But you never know. I mean, it's, it is, you know, Robotech after all. And they got some craziness going on in Robotech in terms of, you know, Zentrani and, and humans and all sorts of stuff. So I guess, you know, <laughs> if, if that can work, then I guess other things probably could work too. But seriously speaking, okay, seriously speaking, you really do have to look at the level of strife that humanity actually faces. Um, from a Robo Robotech, uh, perspective you do and, and i'm talking before the first the first you know uh robotech war in terms of the zentrani holocaust i'm talking about the global civil war you know so again you do have to look at it and say okay what was the economic situation of matt cross island what were the kind of imports that they could have how do they market those imports you know and um even if you are talking about lin min may you know you could take the whole pacific as the pacific islands as an entire region you know, and you could look at the fact that her parents were on, you know, or they were in Japan. I wouldn't say they weren't on Macross Island. They were in Japan. But that doesn't mean that the global civil war didn't touch them, you know, as well. It, it clearly did, you know. Um, so, you know, again, as I sit up here and talk about this, you know, I, I want you guys to understand when, when we talk about the Southern Cross specifically the Southern Cross is a very different style of story. I mean, it's a story where basically, you know, um, you have these characters, right? In these, for all practical purposes, um, you have these characters. And these characters 
are in many respects more grown up than the generation before them. You know, they, they simply are. I mean, when you talk about the first Robotech War, you have, an, you know, a cast of characters that are entering into an interstellar galactic conflict. That's what you're talking about there. When you talk about the second Robotech War, you're talking about a cast of characters who grew up in the background of an interstellar galactic conflict. So there are two very different ways to look at how the stories are actually done. And that's one of the reasons to why you essentially have a romance for the first Robotech War, but in the second Robotech War, it is more disciplined. It is really a love... I'm sorry. It is a true war story. That's exactly what it is. And, um, you know, I love the second Robotech War. I really do. Uh, I mean, I think that out of all three of them, the Master Saga is arguably the best of all three. Now, I do like New Generation a lot. I do. I just think that when you talk about how well-written the stories are, the, the, the three of them, in a separate fashion, um, I do think that the Master Saga just overall really does, you know, give it to you. It, it does. I mean, like, you, it, it's the one story that can stand on its own without the other two if push came to shove. You know, like, if you had to choose one Robotech story that had the most solid premise, what would it be? And it would be the Master Saga. I, I definitely think that. Um, I know a lot of people will sit up here and say, oh, but Macross Saga, Doug, Macross Saga. And it's like, are you joking? Are, are you seriously joking? I mean, like, did you not sit up here and, and see how uh, Max and Miriam were, were just at each other's throats? And then a knife fight in a park, and whew, you know, hey, everything's okay. Now, Max was clearly, you know, crazy. He was crazy. I mean, like, and he was probably hard up on women. And I'm thinking that was part of it, too. You know, as you get older, you realize these things. It's like, as you get older, you know, and, and this is the whole thing. As crazy as that whole scenario is, I will tell you right now, it's funny, when you look at Robotech as a kid, you see it one way. When you look at it as an adult, you see it another. But that knife fight, you know, some guys are so hard up that they'd be like, wow, you may be crazy like a Kardashian, but you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna tag this. Yeah, you're all mine now. Oh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a thing where you're, you, you've never experienced love before? Well, maybe I can show you what love is. You know, I'm like, Pretty much that's what he did, you know, in, in, in a sense. You know, he opened her up to, you know, the the arms of humanity. And, um, yeah, from there you had Dana Sterling. That's that's all you really can say, you know. And, and the, uh, the Baby Dana episode is by far one of the most hilarious episodes in Robotech. It is, you know. <laughs> when the Zentronis see the baby and they're like, oh, that thing's deformed. And, yeah, they don't even know what to make of that thing. It's so small and tiny. But they're like, oh my gosh, it's like, nah, the baby just got a big head, like all babies do. All babies got big old heads. Um, but, yeah, when you're talking about um, the Macross saga, it, it is a love story. It is, for all practical purposes. And they do play to it very well. You know, they do. And they do try to interweave love with, you know, the Zentrani, you know, um, events of the time. And, and, I, and I think that the Macross saga does a great job of that. You know, I definitely wouldn't take anything away from that. But when you get to Southern Cross, it it is nitty and gritty, you know. It is not like the Matt Cross saga, you know. It, it's not like a character-driven, you know, we're going to win because, you know, 
we're the good guys and they're going to lose because they're the bad guys. It doesn't really, it doesn't happen like that. And in the Macross saga, unlike the, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. In the Macross saga, unlike the Southern Cross saga, in, in the Macross saga, you do have a definitive, you know, line between good and evil. You really do. Like the humans are good. The Zentrani are evil. I mean, like, there's no two ways to sit up here and tell that story. Now, of course, you could sit up here and say, well, the Zentrani didn't know what they were doing, da 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 They were tools of war, and all this other stuff, you know. And they do try to effectively, after the fact, after the Zentrani Holocaust, they really do try to blur that line, if, if you notice in the Robotech story. Like, they, they begin to speak it um, after the return from Dole's Battle Fortress, you know, you begin to sit up here and see that, well, it's a society only bred for war, they don't know any better, and we have to show them the other way. And then, of course, you know, after they fillet the planet, <laughs> what's the Macross way of doing everything? It's like, let's sing a song and open our arms. And regardless of the fact that they blew up our home world, we can, we can embrace them and begin anew. You know, and, and that's exactly what you have in the Macross Saga. Only in the love story would that shit fly. You know, only in the love story would that shit fly. Like, the, the quantum, you know, energy cannon, the grand cannon didn't do, like, basically didn't do anything. Like, although it eviscerated, like, God knows how many ships, it didn't matter. Like, it just didn't matter. It's like, ah, this isn't going to win this fight. But you know what is going to win this fight? Girl, step up. You know, I, like, that's that's pretty much how it, it went down. Where, in the Southern Cross Saga, could you imagine if they would have tried that with the Robotech Masters? The Robotech Masters just would have looked at them and just said, we're getting these weird transmissions that... And then they would have been, like, the person relaying that information would have been cut off. And, you know, the elders... Or not the elders, I'm sorry, they weren't the elders. But um, the, the Robotech Masters would have been like, okay, just eliminate them. Okay, eliminate them. We don't have time for this. Who cares what they're trying to tell us? You know, it doesn't have anything to do in the regards of protoculture. Clearly, they are a, you know, a barbaric civilization. They're allowing their emotions to get the best of them. You know, maybe they understand the demise that they're about to face. And that's that. Like, that That pretty much is how the Robotech Masters would have looked at you know, force of arms, you know, provided they would have been the ones to have, you know, devastated the earth in that sense. And again, you know, I think this is what makes Robotech Robotech is that this Entrani, you can see exactly why they're the Aaron boys. And you can see why the Robotech masters are the brains behind the brawn. You know, you can definitely see that. Now, as far as, you know, the, the Robotech masters go, they were definitely more powerful than the Zentrani. Like, even in their final moments, if it came down to literally picking between the Robotech Masters and the Zentrani, you know, and I'm saying the Masters from the Master Saga versus the Zentrani, the reality is the Zentrani would have lost to the Masters. And, and how you can tell is this. If you look at Robotech, and if you look at the post-Force of Arms episode, Okay, and I'm, I'm talking like even post-Recreation Blues. All right. Um, when you look at the post-Force of Arms episodes, and then you get to see the uh, the Robotech Masters, the Robotech Masters sit up here and straight up tell everyone 
how, you know, one battle fortress can defeat a force of five million. They straight up say how it can be done. It's not even a surprise to them. You know, they just don't think, and they just don't believe that the humans would be able to unlock that ability. You know, they just didn't believe it, you know. And I think that that's really telling about, A, the Robotech Masters and their technology, and B, how insignificant Dulce's force really was from the overall scheme of things. Like, the humans thought they had it down with a grand cannon, right? You know, they thought, like, air, we have this, you know, quantum energy, you know, weapon with a, you know, a, uh, a full drive, um, you know, filtering system. And there you go. I mean, like energy, you know, it's like, it's like energy passing through a full drive filtering system and poof, there you go. There's our quantum energy weapon. And the humans think that they've got it down. They, they really do. They think, you know, Hey, we got this wide angle lens and this whole nine yards. We're going to be able to totally wipe out, you know, the Zentrani as it stands. And in reality, the Grand Cannon was incredibly powerful. It really was, but it wasn't so powerful that it could wipe out, you know, effectively, five million capital ships. It couldn't do that being in, and not so much that it couldn't destroy five million capital ships as much as it really couldn't do it from the standpoint of, Oh yeah, almost forgot, you know, they're all, they're surrounding the entire earth, you know, and and that's exactly where they went wrong with the grand cannon is that it was a stationary weapon, you know, now granted, I don't think much would have changed with the Grand Cannon, um, beyond the fact that, realistically, it was no different than using the SDF-1's main gun back when, you know, the SDF-1 essentially had its, um, its full drive intact, you know? And by full drive, we're not talking about, um, you know, the, uh, the, um, necessarily the, uh, the full drive that originally came with the ship. Um, because that's one of those odd things about Robotech that you look at, which is did the SDF one have its original full drive or a reconstructed full drive? It's kind of like the master computer, you know, um, the master computer was not in the SDF one at the time of its launch. And this is one of the reasons why the SDF one was practically stupid in, in the first Robotech war. You know, you know, the EVE system was not there. And it had Eve been there, the story would have went completely differently. You know, Eve would have been like, oh, these are the Zentrani. Just to let you know, this is how we can best beat them. Just to let you know, this is how the Robotech Masters look at them. So on and so forth. Like, that's what would have happened. And that's that's the credit to the Robotech... Un- or, I'm sorry, that's the credit to Robotech Untold Story there. You know, um, even though the, the SDF-1 was a powerful ship... It did not have all of its core essentials there at the time of the launch that was pre, you know, um, pre, uh, how shall we say, just done well before it was intended to, um, based on, of course, uh, the events that had, uh, that had taken place, you know, um, definitely preconceived. <laughs> so you, when, when you, when you look at Robotech, you know, um, again, for the Matt Cross saga perspective, there, there's a lot to look at there. There, there definitely is. Uh, now 
and when you're looking at it in contrast to the Southern Cross saga, you know, it, again, you just look at the whole scenario and you look at how the Southern Cross would have dealt with the scenario at the time, um, especially if we're talking about like the Zentrani invasion. Like the Southern Cross wouldn't have been playing any games. They would have been like, listen, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send these fleets out here and these fleets are going to sit up here and take care of these guys out here and we're going to call the day. You know, and, and, and that's basically the way the Southern Cross would have, uh, would have dealt with it. I mean, like, they, they definitely would have dealt with the Zentrani in a very, very different fashion. Um, now, there are people who sit up here and believe that the Zentrani had superior, you know, capital ships to the Southern Cross and what have you not. And, um, I, for one, don't believe any of that at all. Uh, I mean, if you watch Robotech extensively, and if you watch it very, very closely, is the, The Zentrani definitely had bigger battle cruisers. I would definitely say that. Their battle cruisers were definitely bigger. Their battle cruisers definitely had a lot of power. But they honestly did not have the kind of power that was actually needed to tear down, you know, the space fleet of the armies of the Southern Cross. They just didn't. You know, and, and I think that that's something that has to be, you know, faced in terms of when you look at the first Robotech War and the second Robotech War... And you've got to look at the fact that the armies of the Southern Cross went up against a technologically superior force. And the Zentrani were not it. You know, the Zentrani, um, if anything, were the springboards for the armies of the Southern Cross to catapult, catapult themselves into the, uh, you know, Robotech arena. They, they were. So you've got to remember when you talk about the armies of the Southern Cross, you're talking about, you know, capital ships that have shields where, the Zentrani's battlecruisers don't have shields. You know, they have density. They got that going for them, but they don't have shields, you know. Um, the Zentrani have lots of lasers uh, or lots of particle beam cannons, you know, you name it. Um, but they do not have the shields. And that's, that's a big, huge thing right there. Uh, another thing is this, is that you're talking about materials. Um, it is true the Zentrani capital ships are, are much bigger and, they're, and have a greater density, but the materials that they're made out of are just not as good as human uh, Robotechian materials. They're just not. And, you know, all you got to do is just watch the show and, and you'll see that, you know. And then, of course, you just look at the weapon types. You know, the armies of the Southern Cross were using plasma. Um, they were using, I want to say, quantum, uh, or, or I want to say, like, quantum energy uh, or, or quantum-tipped uh, warheads, you know, they were using weaponry that was definitely a step above, I'd say for lack of a converse, or lack of a better term, uh, just advanced, advanced beyond what the Zentrani were. But truthfully, regardless of that, the Robotech Masters were still a couple steps ahead of them, you know. And and that's the thing, like, when, when you look at Robotech, you know, the armies of the Southern Cross, for all practical purposes, could have dealt with a Dolza type fleet like that would have been their thing now would they have you know dealt with it unscathed no the answer is no that that never would have happened um but could they have dealt with a fleet like that in mass and the answer is yes they they, they definitely could have um they had the technology they had superior mecha they had you know everything except probably i'd say the numbers you know um the numbers definitely wouldn't have played in their favor for a Dolza-type scenario, but I don't think the numbers really matter. I, they, they just don't. 
um, from the Armies of the Southern Cross's perspective, and even from the from the Robotech Master's perspective, the numbers really don't matter. You know, um, you've got battle cruisers using quantum, you know, quantum uh, energy-based warheads, and when you got that going on there, you know, that, that kind of changes the equation quite a bit. You know, and, and, that, and that's one of the big things. You also have where you've got, you know, their, their commanders who definitely know what they're doing in the way of space warfare. Like, you can just tell that there's a huge difference between, like, Emerson and Global, for example. If you were talking about who's the better commander in space warfare, I would definitely not be choosing Global over Emerson. Like, Emerson is the better one. You know, Emerson clearly had more experience by the time he effectively became, you know, um, right under the Supreme Commander, you know, Leonard. So, like, in Robotech, again, it's just, you have a, a military force which is very different from the one that came before it. You know, and even when you talk about the soldiers, you know, um, it is true that Dana Sterling and Bowie are part of, you know, the first graduating class of the United Earth Forces Military Academy. You know, like, that that part is very, very true, you know, yet again. Um, but still, you know, that army is hard-edged. Like, it is hard-edged. Like, there was nothing that could break the will of the Southern Cross, in terms of what the Masters had. I mean, like, the Masters had, you know, by far the technologically superior force, and it still was not enough to sit up here and break the Masters. You know, I'm sorry, break the, uh, break the, um, you know, the, the backbone of the Southern Cross. So, again, you gotta take the stuff in stride, you know, and how the stories actually work. And that's what makes the Southern Cross story such a great story, is that it is an adult story. And you really do see a force of resilience in the wake of humanity in a way that you do not see it with, you know, for all practical purposes, um, the United Earth government and the uh, Matt Cross saga. You know, so like I said, if we're, you know, from my perspective um, and how I would lay it out, I would definitely lay out and say that the armies of the Southern Cross are definitely a more powerful, more potent force than the United Earth Forces Military Academy ever was. Um, oh, I'm sorry, not the United Earth Forces Military Academy. I didn't mean to say that. Um, the, uh, the UEG, UN Spacing, and all of the above. You know, yeah, uh, before the United Earth Forces Military Academy. Now... You know, of course, you then have the pioneer aspect of it, too. And, you know, when I think of Robotech, I think of the pioneer expeditionary forces. And um, that's probably where it all went wrong, <laughs> like, for humanity. Like, Leonard was right. He was right. You guys need to keep your asses home. We don't need to be going out there. Nothing good's going to come of it. Once when you do, our forces are going to be drastically, you know, drastically uh, depleted. You know, we're not even going to be able to stop pigeons from shitting on us. I mean, seriously, what are you thinking, Admiral Hunter? What are you thinking? And that is something that I, again, you just, you look at the Southern Cross for what it is. In the Southern Cross, they were realists. 
it wasn't the fact that they were a bunch of morons and their, you know, stupidity is what allowed them to keep a high morale. It was they saw the situation for what it was. And they're like, well, if we can just hold out until they come back, and that's all we need them to do is come back and we're going to be all right. Uh, unfortunately, though, what was coming back was not going to be anything that could deal with the Robotech Masters on their level, you know, which really begs to differ um, in, in the idea of you guys are going out there to basically deal with a preemptive conflict. And in doing so, what technology do you have in your assortment that's going to say to the Robotech Masters, we can deal with you too? I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, when you think of Global and what Global wanted to do, and how Global wanted to basically take the SDF-1 and he wanted to take the SDF-2 uh, for all practical purposes, you know, the Zentrani fleet um, out into, you know, space to find the Robotech Masters homeworld and then deal with them on, you know, on that side of the, uh, the you know, the galaxy. Um, you really got to think Global was an idiot for that one because it's like, dude, did you not see what happened? In the first Robotech War, did you not see how just really humanity wasn't ready to mess with this? And granted, humanity did survive, and it was done through a fluke. It was done through some 16-year-old girl singing her song. I mean, like, that's what it was, you know? And the fact is, you can't sit up here and, you know, pop idle your way through the next Robotech conflict. So, granted, you could look at the Zentrani and say, they've got excellent weapons, they've got excellent firepower, anything beyond, you know, what Earth has ever had, and, yeah, with this firepower, we should be able to go out and face, you know, um, we should be able to go out and face the Robotech Masters and anything they've got going on, you know, and, and, and there's some truth to that, like, you could look at that, and you could also look at the fact that, Global did have the Imperial fleet. You know, I mean, like, the, the truth is, when you look at Robotech, what you definitely have to realize is humanity was not outnumbered by some outrageous margin of, like, 10,000 to 1 or something like that. That's not how it went. You know, the reality is, Britai had a million ships under his disposal. He had a million, okay? Dolza's main fleet that he came with was about 5 million. So he it was about a 5 to 1 advantage. Okay? But Britai had one thing going for him that Dolza did not. And that was he understood the Micronian ways. He did. And he had seen enough cable, you know, broadcasted uh, Matt Cross news network to understand that, hey, this is how the, you the Micronians, you know get their forms of entertainment, which is, which is the big thing here, you know, entertainment, uh, in the sense of entertainment. And the other commanders didn't understand that. So when you deal with Robotech from that end, you know, you've always got to remember from the force of arms scenario, the humanity was not outdone by that great of a margin. The reason to why the earth got filleted is purely based on the fact that Honestly, Global didn't even try. You know, he didn't even try to save the planet. That wasn't even... Just wasn't going to happen. You know, um, he wasn't even going to try that. 
And the truth is, had they tried hard enough, they probably realistically could have saved the planet. They, 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 they could, you know, but they, he didn't want to, he wasn't worried about that. You know, I mean, think about it from his perspective, you know, the planet gets bumped off. Who's going to be the biggest guy in charge. Oh, it's going to be me, you know? And what did these guys want to do with us? Well, they wanted to shut us up. They didn't want us to go back to earth. You know, they wanted to, you know, basically for all practical purposes, send us out to the uh, slaughter anyways. So we really can't go back to earth in the traditional sense of saying, Hey, this is our home because realistically the earth is no longer our home. It's the battle fortress. And just to prove this point, guess what? We'll let earth fend for itself. You know, earth has got vast resources and they can fend off against Dolza. But in the end, you know what happened? The earth didn't have those kind of resources. It, it really didn't have a fleet. It didn't have the things that it really needed to face against the Zentrani, you know, the Zentrani Holocaust that would come, you know, and, and that's where things really do differ. I mean, like, you've got to think about it leading up to force of arms. Um, global once when he allies with Britai has got basically the most powerful fleet in the galaxy among the players that you know of the first Robotech war. He, he does, you know, and I'm not saying that including the Robotech elders or masters. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is leading up to force of arms, global does have the most powerful fleet. And the reason why he does is because he has a Micronian fleet and he's got a Zentrani fleet in the Zentrani are in a situation that is actually very similar to his own, which is they can't go home. You know, Britai knows that what's going to happen here is Dolza's going to eliminate him along with the Micronian planet. So it only makes sense at this point to ally with the guys that he hasn't been able to kill. You know, and as Exodor had set up here and said, you know, up until now, in our, our little adventure here, you know, your, your fortress has proven to be unbeatable. So we're really now going to put it to a test. We'll see how great this fortress really is, you know, and it's, again, it's, it's one of the real interesting things about the, the Macross saga, you know, but if you were to sit up here and take the Southern Cross saga, the, it would have been a very, very different story. I mean, to begin with, you would have had, you know, weapons, if you're talking the Macross saga, the Macross saga, I'm sorry, the Southern Cross saga, that's what I meant to say. If we're talking about the Southern Cross saga, it would have been, it would have been a very different story. Um, but not necessarily in a bad way. If you were talking about the Southern Cross saga, you know, one of the things to, to really understand about the Southern Cross saga is that they are prepared. That's the thing about them. They are prepared, you know, and what they do is they basically take fourth dimensional technology and they begin to actually wield it as their own. This is one of the things I like about the Southern Cross saga. Now, granted, you really don't see fourth dimensional tech being used as a standard way of doing things until the reclamation forces come back. Okay. So I, I do want to point that out there in terms of if we're talking Robotech and if we're talking, you know, in terms of fourth dimensional tech, you know, the Shadow Fighter with its fourth dimensional frame, plus I want to say the Destabilizer and, and, and what have you not, 
like that right there is your your mass production of fourth dimensional tech. And this is why the Envid looked at, you know, the reclamation forces and thought, yeah, these are the children of the shadow. These guys are up here using fourth dimensional tech, hence, you know, the concept of the shadow. And we're just not going to deal with that. We're not going to. We, we got to go. I mean, you know what happens when you start dealing with fourth dimensional tech. We just got to leave now. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons to why the, the Regis was so willing to leave. You know, it wasn't a a need to stay and lose everything after gaining everything, you know, and um, gathering all the protocol and going to another world that she could wield her own away from the Minecronians and their and their insanity in the way that she saw it uh, was totally acceptable. You know, but the other thing is, is that this wasn't the first time you know, that the Regis had seen this. Because if you look at the Master Saga, what are the Robotech Masters using? They're using fourth-dimensional tech. That's exactly what they're using. And in using fourth-dimensional tech, you know, they really do get themselves into a scenario where they've gone beyond the point of, we'll say, civilized sanity. You know, they've stepped into that realm of the unknown in terms of civilization where, you know, if you're not over a certain bio-index, then you got to go because you're just basically not up to social standards, you know. Um, and the Robotech Masters have reasons to do why they do what they do. Um, and it comes down to this. They are trying to create a perfect model of society. So, you know, again... Like when you, when you look at the Southern Cross, you know, um, aspect of Robotech, the Southern Cross was going up against a society that was considered to be the most, you know, perfect in the known universe, you know, and it was on its last leg and in, in its last moments of perfection, you know, it was able to deal it down on the Southern Cross, you know, but then the Southern Cross is then followed up by the Invid Invasion. And like I said, I, I don't think anything could have stopped the Invid invasion. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, and, and you see that when you actually watch the episode Invid Invasion, when Admiral Hunter sends, you know, her, and at this point it's a her, uh, you know, sends um, her or his, him. I mean, technically there's a, yeah, yeah, Rick Hunter too. But anyways, um, when they send, when the Hunters send their, um, you know, reconnaissance force or reconnaissance wing to basically surveillance reflex point, you know, and to basically strike with a first wave because that was the whole idea it was like, you know, we're going to send all these ships. We have all this firepower. We're going to deal it down. And, and the thing that you got to keep in mind is, is that, uh, you know, again, a lot of people sit up here and try to make a comparison between the first Robotech War and the third Robotech War, in terms of capital ships and stuff like that, they say, ah, oh, but they're not as powerful, and this, that, and the other. And, and the truth is, that's not actually true. What happens is you have a reproportionalized force where it makes more sense. You know, instead of having these huge, giant capital ships that are going to be coming back to the Earth, you know, that are going to be the sign of an enemy invader, and let's be honest here, you're not going to win the minds and hearts of those that are left on Earth by coming back with the very tools that created the first, you know, 
holocaust in the sense of humanity, meaning the Zentrani. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. You know, you can't come back with that kind of force. Like, you, you'll never get the cooperation with, of course, you know, the people that are still on Earth running the show, if it were, you know, which really nobody's not. But that they don't know that. You know, um, it's just not going to happen. That's like a bad PR move. So what do they come back as? Well, they come back as a new remodeled force. But in being newly remodeled, the whole idea is to really make it newly remodeled. You know, so for example, you're not going to come back with capital ships that are designed for people that are 60 feet tall. That's just stupid. You know, when you think about it, that really is pretty dumb. You're not going to do that. You know, um, you're going to proportionalize your force to obviously who it's meant for, which is Micronians. So it's not about the Zentrani. It's not about the Robotech masters. By the time of the third Robotech war, it really is coming back as liberators, but also as liberators looking the part of liberators. And this is one of the reasons to why you have the remodeling of the actual fleet. Uh, another thing is this, though, is that you got to remember that the armies of the Southern Cross actually do leave Earth. You know, they they do commit the Exodus, and in, in doing the Exodus, um, they leave Earth, and basically they leave all the undesirables there. They're not they they don't take anybody who they 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 don't care about. Like that's pretty damn obvious, you know. the The truth is when you when you look at the first. Um, Robotech war, um, you know, there's a certain level of undesirableness that's actually there. Okay. And, and having that undesirableness, um, you basically see it in terms of, well, the people that are on my cross Island have to stay in the battle fortress because if they don't, then what happens is, Word gets out that we're in an interstellar galactic conflict, and then everything's just going to go to the shitter. More like the, everyone's going to find out that the United Earth government lied to them, and they can't have that, you know. And 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 that's your your desirables, uh, your group of desirables number one. Then when you get to the uh, the the Southern Cross, you know, um, or Master Saga, whichever you you call it, depending on how you how you want to phrase that, because um, I've heard it called both. In fact, I've called it both myself. Um, when you, when you get to the, the master saga, what happens is you don't know about the undesirables until you get to new generation, you know? So basically what happens is the Southern cross takes everybody that they like and they hightail it out. That's exactly what they do. There's only a few reputable individuals that actually stay. And once when the Southern cross leaves, you do have a breakdown in infrastructure. You do. You know, so again, it's important to understand that the Invid do not defeat the Southern Cross necessarily overnight. That's not what happens. What happens is the Southern Cross is defeated by its own decision making. That's what it is. The idea is that you deal with the concept of an exodus, meaning that they look at the invid invasion and they say, we just can't do this. This is not going to work. You know, someone's got to go back and, you know, tell Hunter what's going on 
and he has to bring his forces back. So we can sit up here and defeat these Invit. Then you have the guys who just came back saying, look, we're here now. We'll hold it down for you. You guys get and go. That's what you get. That's basically what happens in the Exodus. The Exodus is primarily made up of those who are the desirables. In other words, it's the existing Southern Cross establishment, which is heading out to, you know, um, obviously Tyrol. You know, and, and keep in mind, a lot of these kids are going back to see their parents that they haven't seen in a long, long time. You know, like Dea, uh, I'm sorry, like um, Dana, Bowie, and all the rest of them. So there's a reason to why these guys are all going on, you know, the exodus. It's not just a, hey, the Invid are really tough and we need mom and dad's help. It's, listen, Wolf can't go back. Like, he, how is Wolf and Carpenter... Essentially, how are these guys going back and saying, yeah, we left your kids there. Um, yep, we left them there with some murderous invid. I mean, they, they did sit up here and, and hold their own against the Robotech Masters in the way that they believed they should have. But yeah, the invid basically slaughtered them all. Yeah, that would have never, you can see what that, what would have happened there. You can definitely see what would have happened there, you know. And I mean, you, you can tell that that's not, that is not what either of those men were about. Now, granted, Carpenter does, he's the one who has to lead him back. I mean, someone's got to lead him back and Carpenter is definitely the guy that does it. But, you know, it, it comes back down to when you see Jonathan Wolf, you know, in, in the decisions that were made and he knows the decisions that he made were bad decisions, but where did those decisions begin? You know, did they begin when basically humanity handed the planet Earth over to the Invid in the formation of an exodus so that they could go back and get, you know, the parents that left all the kids behind? You know, is that where it really was left? And what was the um, the fallout of that? Like, what was the the collateral of that? And really, when you're talking about the second Robotech War and you're talking about the loserism of the of the Southern Cross... That's really what you're looking at there. You know, you're looking at that aspect of it. it. It's not that the Southern Cross could not defeat the Invid. It's not that. It's that they weren't going to defeat the Invid. It, it had no, it couldn't. It's just they weren't. And they weren't going to do it because they weren't prepared for something like that. They were prepared for something more along the lines of the Zentrani. They could handle the Robotech Masters. But when the Invid come on the scene, you're talking about an army that is so different from every other army. And there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. They can strike simultaneously at any given point. They have no high-value targets whatsoever, which is another problem. So again, you look at the first Robotech War and you look at the second Robotech War, you understand one basic philosophy. You take down that mothership and the rest is history. Take down the capital ship. The rest is history. You do these things in every, in the mop up's going to be okay. Well, the problem with the invid is that you don't have any of that. You, you literally do not have any of that whatsoever. It's not like you're going to be like, Hey, you know what? Let's go kill that pincer and everything's okay. No, that's not how it works. The Regis can just jump down to the next unit she wants, or the invid brain can just simply take control of, of all the invid if need be, you know, like these are the kind of problems that the Southern cross faced where they were facing a force where it was sheerly numbers. And the other problem that they faced in facing the Invid was the fact that they were the ones with high value targets. 
they were the ones with an infrastructure that was not properly, you know, adaptable to the invid way of, of, of combat. You know, and, and this is why the, the Zentrani were the Zentrani. You know, in terms of their massive battle cruisers with their, you know, thousand guns on them and, and all the above. It's because this is how you deal with a force like the Invid. What you do is you get a giant brick looking piece of doo-doo. And then what you do is slap as many guns on it as you can and call it a day. Forget about shields. They don't matter. Forget about, you know, the idea of using high-tech weaponry. It doesn't matter. There's a reason to why the Masters made us the way we are, and it's because we were meant to be, meaning the Zentrani in this case, were meant to be that buffer between them and the Invid. Because the Robotech Masters, for all practical purposes, were never going to beat the Invid. That wasn't going to happen. I mean, they did have a leg up, because they had figured out a way to genetically, you know, create the perfect, you know, specimen for the worlds that they had been on and stuff like that, meaning the, the Robotech Masters, and encountering the Invid on one of the worlds, obviously, they had done that. But in reality, the Robotech Masters' problem was very simple. Their cost for driving their Robotech society was so insanely high that there's no way on Earth it could have lasted the test of time against a force like the Invid. And you've got to remember, the Robotech Masters are facing an empire, you know, that is over 500,000 years old. You know, so the Invid have learned some things that apparently not very many other species have actually learned in Robotech. You know, so when you talk about the idea of having a an empire that's over 500,000 years old for me, from a, a Robotechian, you know, historical perspective, okay, or how humanity would date it at least over 500,000 years old. Um, but of course you are talking about, you know, fourth dimensional, you know, um, time, or I want to say a fourth dimensional clock. So I, I, 500,000 years in the way that we would look at it could very well be a generation the way that they look at that, you know, and, and you always got to keep that in mind that time and space do not run equally in Robotech. They, they definitely don't. Um, but again, I go back to what I had said originally. And um, I I really do think that when you talk about Robotech, um, this is the kind of thing where when you, when you look at Robotech and when you look at the strength of the armies of the Southern Cross, you know, when you, when you look at the strength of the armies of the Southern Cross, they had the best chance of defeating the enemy. They definitely had that. It just wasn't enough. You know, it, it simply wasn't. And, you know, it's, it's very simple. You know, you leave your kids on earth to allow them to become the, you know, the brand new backbone of the earth defense forces. They're made and they're tailored to defeat the Zentrani. It's a simple thing of when the kids go looking for mom and dad, they're not bringing the Zentrani back with them. They're not going to do that, you know, and that's, that's the reality of why you have the reclamation force. You know, remember, it starts off as a pioneer expeditionary mission, and then they have to remodel and become a reclamation force and then go back. And that's one of the real interesting things about Robotech is that you talk about the, 
the uh, the geopolitical aspects of it, you know, um, or interstellar galactic geopolitical uh, aspects of it. And yeah, that's that's partly why they, the Zentrani aren't coming back. They're not coming back from a you know from a story perspective because it, it it'd make no sense. You know, you didn't sit up here and you know create the armies of the Southern Cross so that you could have Zentrani forces come back and then save the earth. That's not, that's not how it works. And the the other thing is this, is that there needed to be a modernization, obviously to the fleet, you know, it's like, okay, look, this is how things have changed. Um, if we reallocate our resources, this is the kind of thing we can do. And that's, that's exactly what you see happen in the first Robotech war. So, you know, from my end of how I look at Robotech, um, I look at Robotech in a way where I basically, um, basically think about it and I can see exactly why, okay, the armies of the Southern Cross made the decisions that they made and why the Reclamation Force came back as the way it was. Um, it, it, it definitely came back because it was done by proportionality and in addition to being by a concept of proportionality, it was also done by the fact that you were not going to send back some alien invaders to save humanity when they were the first ones to sit up here and basically try to make humanity go uh, extinct. You know, it's just, it's just not going to happen. But, but the other thing is this too, the Zentrani had changed by that point as well. They had become micronized. Uh, a vast majority of them had, um, to a point where you had to have a remodeling of the fleet. You know, you, you had to have that. In and also humanity had changed. Earth was no longer the jewel of humanity by the time of the third Robotech War. You know, you talk about Mars, okay, um, or Venus, <coughs> or Jupiter. You know, just in 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 the known star system, um, closest to the sun, you know, humanity was inhabiting, you know, Jupiter, it was inhabiting Mars, it was inhabiting, you know, Venus, it was able to make these, these planets work for themselves, you know, and, and by for themselves, I'm talking humanity. Um, it was able to do these things. So I don't, again, when, when you look at this, you begin to realize these people are really behind the times at this point. You know, they really are. And I'm talking the people of Earth. And the, the reclamation forces, they all know it. They know that they left those people there. They know those people are as, are as dumb as doornails. They know that those people are, you know, just not... There's a reason why you didn't take them. You know, and the way you got to look at it is they left basically the lowest class and next to the lowest class on Earth, while everybody else basically left. Anybody of any value, minus, and I'm talking minus the uh, the Pioneer forces that came back, anybody else of any value in terms of the Southern Cross, they were gone. They were gone. Like, it just, they, they were gone, and they weren't coming back. It's just, that's how it was, you know. They found, once when they got to the other side of the galaxy, there was a brand new life to live, you know, and it was to get back to their families, and to get back to what they should have had that they had lost 
purely based on the fact that Admiral Hunter wanted to go out on some crazy mission, you know, to the stars and beyond. So, you know, again, when you, when you, when you're talking about Robotech and you're talking about what the Robotech story means in terms of each story proportionally, you know, the Southern Cross story does a lot for you. It does. And you're able to rationalize the story at the ending of the Matt Cross saga and definitely going into a uh, new generation. You, you know, you definitely can rationalize it. Um, and that's why you had in turn so many turn coats in the, um, in the, uh, first aspects of the third Robotech war, you know? So when, when you're looking at the third Robotech war and you're going, wait a second here, why did all these people turn on the Robotech, you know, defenders, um, in, in the reclamation forces? Why did humanity do that? Well, humanity did that for obvious reasons. They had abandoned them to the end of it. And then they came back, you know, they were like, okay, here, we're going to, we're going to do an exodus. We're all going to leave, but we're going to come back. And it's like, well, aren't you going to take me with you? No, no, we're going to go. You're going to stay and we'll be back for you. We'll be back for you. And that was the whole thing. The armies of the Southern Cross, their attitude effectively was, we're going to be back for you. We're coming back. We promise we're going to come back. What they didn't understand when they left was these people were pissed. They were mad. You know, they didn't care about like Jonathan Wolf. He couldn't save all of them. In fact, he couldn't even save most of them. In fact, when it really came down to it, what happened was it was pretty, pretty brutal. Where Wolf quickly learned his limitations as a, you know, reclamation forces commander. He did as one of the first ones coming back, you know, aside from like Carpenter, you know, uh, Wolf really did quickly realize, look, you know what? This is going to be a totally different campaign than the other ones that we were, you know, used to. And everything that he had in terms of his, you know, effective establishment wasn't there. The infrastructure quickly eroded away and, you know, Wolf was left to the depraved, uh, depraved, depravedness, depravity. There we go. The depravity of humanity. That's exactly what happened to good old Jonathan Wolf. And, you know, to the point of that, Jonathan Wolf was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to sit up here and take this bottle and I'm going to save this one little town that I can see as, uh, as a resemblance of some type of humanity. And I'm going to call the day, you know, and it, it really came down to that. Like that was truly in the end, by the time the invit had gotten done with him, his ultimatum, listen, we can kill everybody in this town, wipe it out, or you could be the last fledgling piece of humanity if you just do us a favor. And that is truly what happened to Jonathan Wolf. You know, I mean, like that, that's basically how it was broken down to him, you know, but again, you know, you think about the Southern cross and you, you think about the, uh, the guys in the garfish, you know, Leonard and, and, and Emerson and, and their boys got themselves blown up. And then of course, everyone else just flew away. They all left the earth you know, and, and left us all here, <laughs> you know, they left us all here and it's, it's like, no, we, we're not going to do this. Now, granted, those guys came back. I mean, those guys with the garfish clearly came back, but they also knew, you know, effectively what happened. You know, those guys were much, much older, you know, um, 
And, and that's the thing. When you look at the Robotech timeline, Ghost Town's a very interesting story. Because clearly those guys were there effectively for the second Robotech War, and then they came back and partook in the third war and said, we're done. We're, this is over. We're not doing this anymore. You know, and, and that's one of the, again, one of the real interesting things about how the second Robotech war jives into the third Robotech war. You know, there are clear signs in the second Robotech war that the third Robotech war tries to play off it. And the Garfish guys, you know, the old men and the Garfish are exactly that. But that also speaks to the timeline as well, you know, um, how it's done. And this is one of the big problems, of course, with how Harmony Gold attempted to try to redo the timeline. It didn't work because it doesn't jive with the gentleman at the Garfish. It doesn't jive with Jonathan Wolf, you know. Um, it doesn't, you know, uh, it doesn't do well with Scott Bernard and uh, his band of freedom fighters, you know, his freedom fighters are much, much, much younger, um, than any other cast of Robotech, you know, characters dealing in the roles that they dealt in. Uh, they're, they're much younger. Um, and they're, and they're much more, I would say for the, for the situation they're in, they're much more resourceful too, you know? Um, and that's what makes the third Robotech war an adventure story. And that's one of the reasons why I love it so much, is that after you have this war story, okay, of the Southern Cross, you then do translate over to, of course, an adventure story, which is, of course, the third Robotech War, you know? And the reason why it can be an adventure story is this. You've already had your love story, okay, you've already had that, and then you've already had a war story, and this war meaning the third Robotech war has pretty much already concluded. What happens in the third Robotech war is you're basically talking about, you know, the, the humanity's lifeline, you know, the earth's last sliver of hope. <laughs> and, uh, let's just say Scott Bernard didn't fare out too well in the beginning, although he did do pretty well at the end. So again, I like, uh, you know, the master saga a lot. And one of the reasons to why, I do like the Master Saga, and one of the reasons to why I think the, Magus, the Master Saga is so amazing is due to the fact that the Master Saga really does tie together the Matt Cross Saga in its ends, dealing into the New Generation Saga and its beginnings, leading into its ends. You know, you definitely see this um, as they go along on their journey, you know. And, um, it, you know, you do have to put your brain to it. It's it's not something that you necessarily can just say, oh, you know what, um, it wasn't said in the story, therefore it didn't happen. You know, you can definitely tell that after the Exodus, people are pretty bitter. And they're the ones who turn on, you know, for all practical purposes, they are the ones who do turn on um, the freedom fighters, you know, they do, they do turn on the freedom fighters and they do turn on the, the established earth forces. Um, and you know, you can sit up here and, and look at, um, what is it? Lost town. I think it's lost town. 
or the city in the lake. You know, I, I forget what it is, you know, but it's like the second, it's the second, uh, installment of, of new generation, you know, where they go to the city in the lake and they go across and then they find out this is a massive graveyard for Robotech freedom fighters. And you're talking like hover tanks, you're talking cyclones, you're talking all sorts of shit in there, man. And it's not pretty. Like, it's like, no, what are you people trying to do to us? You know, but it, it really does set the tone about the Exodus and what happens after the Exodus, you know, because it, in the beginning of the, of the, uh, episode Invid Invasion, you see the Exodus, you know, the Exodus takes place. By the time of, you know, I think it's Lost City, but I could be wrong about the, the name of the episode. By the time of that episode, what happens is you definitely see that the remainders of humanity have basically betrayed. They've all essentially just betrayed those that were fighting for them, you know, in their, in their last moments. They chose the Invid and that in and of itself changed, I would say, a lot of the dynamics of how the third Robotech war is fought because humanity is now just stabbing itself in the back. And, you know, to the point of that, you, you really do have to look at the effects that the second Robotech war had at the very, you know, end leading into the, to the third Robotech war, when you look at the Exodus, I mean, like you, you really do have to look at that, you know, the Invid invasion when it occurs is definitely not a, it's not a pretty thing. I mean, it's brutal, um, on humanity, at least like it is downright brutal. Like humanity was not ready for that one, you know, and, and humanity wasn't trying to do that business, but you know, in the end it, it did cost humanity, you know, quite a bit in terms of the Invid invasion and in the end, what happened was humanity um, definitely uh, did eat its own in one form or another. You know, you could sit up here and say that, you know, uh, the exodus itself was humanity eating its own. You could definitely say that by the time the reclamation forces came back, humanity, the remainder of humanity on Earth was so bitter that it was just a no-no. But you also know this. It was disproportional in terms of who stayed and who lost. For example, uh, Denver, the people in Denver, or I'm sorry, the people uh, that lived in Denver, they were part of the evacuation orders of the Exodus. You know, they had that, that city that was entombed in ice and look at how that worked out for them. You know, like literally look at how that worked out for them. They had one of the most prosper, prosperable, okay, prosperable places um, on Earth, and they decide to leave it all behind to go out into space and, you know, go live among the stars for all practical purposes. You know, and, and that is something that is very telling about the second Robotech War leading into the third Robotech War which is how humanity does view itself by the time of the reclamation forces. You know, by the time of the reclamation forces, humanity views itself very differently. You know, Hunter and friends do not necessarily see the earth as a, a world that is the cradle of civilization that needs to maintain its, its, uh, its existence, but they see it as a, guess what? 
the fact is we can live on any world we want to through robo technology. Honestly, if this planet is going to be that big of a burden where the Envid are going to gain a stronghold in the universe, then we just need to eliminate the planet. Hence the Neutron S missile. So, you know, again, I think when you talk about Robotech here, you gotta, you gotta really sit up here and see it for what it is. Now, like Emerson and Leonard never would have went for that stuff. You know, and this is again another, another shift in terms of how the story actually works. You know, and, and it's interesting that New Generation is an adventure story and it doesn't turn out to be a uh, war story because you don't see the politics of what happens in New Generation up front and close like you did in the Master Saga. You don't see that. What you see are you see the orders handed down. You see the lack of interest in the Earth. You see how, you know, Hunter's attitude is like, listen, you know what? If this final attack wave can't do it, guess what we're going to do? We are going to simply just, you know, wipe the planet from the star system. That's what we're going to do, and we're going to end this. You know, you see how they've adopted fourth dimensional technology to its fullest, and now they plan to basically begin the, the lives of the Robotech Masters. You know, like, this is exactly what it is. It's like, effectively, it's like a repeat, if you will, of what happens to the Robotech Masters, which is the Robotech Masters, to a degree, lose their... They, in essence, lose their humanity over this 500,000 year, whatever they got going on, you know, to the point that they actually do become the Robotech Masters. And Zor tries to fight this. Like, he's like, dude, we can't, we can't be like this. You people are insane. We can't, we can't do this. We're, we're literally going to flush our very, you know, essence of, of self-worth down the toilet so that we can be perfect ourselves. Well, it's our imperfections that make us who we are, you know? And from Zor's perspective, it's, it's, it's very true, which is, listen, if it wasn't for my imperfections, I never would have created this near perfect society. You know, it, it was because of my imperfections and recognizing those imperfections and in suit of that, in the pursuit of trying to correct the imperfections, I come across all this, which is effectively Robotech, you know? Um, so you see by the time of the third Robotech war, humanity now starting to become the great Robotech society that the Robotech masters were. And remember, they have vast influences once when they go to the other side of the galaxy. And they have them in a way where they decide you know what? The Earth just isn't worth it. It's not worth it. We can live here on Tyrol. Tyrol's just like Earth. In fact, we found like 20 other planets just like Earth. Why are we screwing around with that planet? You know, and also I think it's fair to say too that reconnaissance would have showed that the people that were left on Earth had basically devolved. Or, worse than that, they had become treacherous. You know, so I think that when you talk about, again, the, uh, the third Robotech war, um, in contrast to the second Robotech war, like I said, Leonard and Emerson never would have went for what they did in the third Robotech war. They wouldn't have done that. 
but it was also believed that those guys were more than capable of taking care of any issues the planet was going to deal with. And by the sheer fact that they had lost so much in the second Robotech War, in terms of just the the overall thought process of the of the uh you know pioneer forces with the you know establishment of the Southern Cross leaving Emerson and Leonard behind and all that and then to then put icing on the cake that they will effectively lose Jonathan Wolf and they are going to for all practical purposes um <laughs> you know lose reconnaissance wing after reconnaissance wing at some point they just look at the collateral and say, listen, we can create a brand new earth if we want to, but this earth isn't going to be worth it. And the thing is this, you can't let the images stay there. Like you can't, they knew that they knew that they weren't stupid. They'd been sitting up here fighting a war forever and a day with the invid, you know, they had, and they realized that they weren't going to even be able to defeat the invid in their entirety, meaning the region, until they got those reinforcements from the Exodus. I mean, like that's that's how that works too. So, you know, everybody's on board with what needs to happen. It seems like it's just that the people get holding, or the people, yeah, the people who do get holding the uh, the bag of poo poo is, of course, the undesirables on Earth, and how they basically lash out is something in and of itself. Um that I think really does uh, speak for itself. I mean, you know, and, and all you got to do, honestly, is you start off with, you know, um, what is it, the first episode? Where the guy's like uh, telling the kid, you know, don't talk to that man. You start with that. Then you you get into further episodes like The City and the Lake. And then after that, you know, you've got Donald. <laughs> you see how that one works out. Um, and even beyond that, what you have is you have, um, you know, Lancer's flashbacks, you got those. And if you're not even talking about that, then you've got, you know, the, the, the sheer anarchy that tries to engulf humanity, which is, um, the, the fortress on the farm, you know, the episode Lonely Soldier Boy. And then, of course, you know, uh, you look at Rook's background with the biker gangs and stuff like that, and and you can clearly see what happens to humanity. Not to mention, you could talk about Ghost Town with the um, with the old soldiers and stuff like that, and um, how they just gave up the fight and said, "Forget this noise," you know. And then you, even if you do look at Ghost Town, and if you look at the sheriff and stuff, and how literally there there was just a social breakdown. You know, forget about Jonathan Wolf and, and, and his eulogy and the stuff that he was doing. I mean, you just look at exactly how it all went down. Episode by episode and by another episode. And it just reinforces the fact that humanity had been on such a downward spiral that even by the time when you get to Dusty Airs, like, what is he doing? He's bumping off Freedom Fighters. Why? Because he's got a good reason to. But nonetheless, the reality is the reality of the second Robotech war leading into the third Robotech war, which is, it was a brutal decision to be made. So, um, that's what I'm going to say for now. Um, that's exactly what I'm going to say for now. I, I think that this was a great episode. 
Honestly, I think you guys are going to like it because it's like, finally Doug's getting back into Robotech again. He's getting back into Robotech. He really does remember this stuff. Yeah, I do remember this stuff, guys. I, I totally do. Um, it's just that I've been away from it for about, you know, a year and a half to two years now. And I'm, I'm ready to sit up here and take the reins, if it would. Yeah, take the reins. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm thinking, and I, I'm not sure about this, but I'm thinking this Friday we are going to have our episode. If it's not this Friday, it might actually be this Saturday. It's really going to depend on a number of things, um, in terms of just how my, my week is, uh, planned out. I just, I just want to make sure that I can truly dedicate the time to you guys that you guys want to have, um, for this live episode. And I think it's something that you guys are really going to enjoy. Okay. Um, now, uh, the software that I'm going to be using, um, I'm actually going to post in the section, um, of, uh, of info for this episode and the last episode too. I'm, I'm going to do that. Uh, so it's going to say something to the effect, you know, for live episodes and then give you a link to go to for, I want to say that software. So we're going to do that. Um, also it is up on my Facebook, my Robotech Facebook page. So again, you're going to have that. And <clears throat> if you do Xenoforce Reborn, if you're part of that whole thing there, you're going to see it there too. Um, now, um, for those who listen to Robotech fan, but are also interested in Xenoforce Reborn, I will be doing a live episode on that as well. Um, it will just simply depend. I may do Xenoforce Reborn on Saturday and do Robotech Fan on Friday. Not sure yet. Not sure. But it's going to do, it's going to work something like that. Okay. Um, needless to say, I already have my pre-recording episode for Xenoforce Reborn done on Sunday if I don't end up doing a live episode, but I think I actually am. So guys, uh, with that being said, you guys take care. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye.